If you lost a survivor and you're feeling down, David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how you played yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank lost. And this is why Blank lost. Oh, baby, this is why Blank lost. Welcome to this week's edition of Why Blank Lost. I'm David Bloomberg, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Jessica Lewis. A little behind the scenes uh, for viewers and listeners, and and you, of course, Jessica. Me too. Uh, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to discuss something with you before we went live, but, you know, we had those couple of technical issues. Yeah. So I guess I'll just let everyone know that based on feedback and requests we've gotten, we're going to do video every week, if possible at least until everyone is done isolating themselves in their homes. And it'll mean we have to, you know, get dressed and make ourselves look presentable at least once a week. So we can't be in our pajamas with our hair sticking out everywhere while we eat chips and drink wine where, where nobody can see us. Well, wait, 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 wait. Seriously? You just, and you're telling me this now. Yeah. Listen, yeah. listen. I'm sorry, but listen, I already know this is not for me. Okay. Like this, I'm not going to sit here for the next eight weeks trying to fight my way through video every single time we do this. That, that I'm sorry, ain't going to happen. No. Uh, okay. Well, that was unexpected. I thought she might at least try it for a little while before she raised the flag there. You know, first the queen of survivor leaves and now the queen of this podcast has left. But the thing is, everyone, Aha, see, I, I knew she would be coming back because she has nowhere to go. She's stuck in her house anyway. I'm back. Yes, yes. So, uh, yes, you know, I, I was just saying uh, to the listeners and viewers, I, I knew you couldn't go far because you're stuck in your house. It's not like there's a boat that can take you away somewhere. That is true. We're kind of all quarantined a little bit. So, you know, it can only go so far. I'm limited to yeah. my basement right now anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, of course, while Jessica did come back and we're all very happy about that, um, yeah, Sandra didn't. Uh, mm -hmm. She left altogether. And now I, I have to admit, I'm a bit surprised she didn't at least try to stay a few days uh, to try the merge return challenge, which, you know, she had to know was coming, you know, pretty quickly. But I also understand her reasoning. Why stay if there's no chance? Yeah. And and that's exactly what there was. No chance. Uh, regular listeners know I don't always agree with Jeff Probst, but he was absolutely right when he said in Dalton's interview that there was 0.0, .0 chance that Sandra was going to win a challenge against a group of players already assembled on the edge. Right. Uh, he, he added in his weekly video summary that she knew there would be a big epic challenge to get back into the into mm -hmm. the game. She knew she didn't have a chance and, and she was right. Yeah. And. In case anyone doesn't remember how she does on challenges, Jeff Pittman from True Dork Times noted on Twitter that Sandra has competed in 20 individual challenges lifetime and never won. Mm -hmm. She has the number three all-time lowest mean percentage finish mark. Yeah. And listen, my leaving and doing that whole bit, not poking fun of her whatsoever, because I do think that... Wait a minute. That was a bit? I, I thought... <laughs> I mean, there was I such, even had wine. 
I know. I'm jealous. I didn't bring wine with me. I should have. Today is a day for wine. But I do think that there was such a visceral response that we saw on Twitter and just all through social media about her making this decision and quitting. And I understand the knee jerk reaction for it. I do, because I think that all of us who are Survivor fans understand when someone quits how like, ugh, like it's just an awful thing to see. We we as fans don't appreciate it. People that want to play this game see other people quit and are like, come on, if I was there, I wouldn't quit. You know, so there's all of these immediate emotional responses that people have to someone making that decision. And so I get it. I totally understand that reaction. But I also think that we need to look at this from Sandra's perspective. I mean, Sandra has never quit this game ever. I mean, she's won twice, for God's sake. So we have to give her credit for that. We also have to give her credit for coming back and being in Fiji for 36 days for not even and not even playing the game. Last but coming, season, yeah. Yes. Coming back as as just a, you know, a voice of wisdom and trying to offer guidance. She did it for 36 days, takes two weeks off and comes back and does this again. And I think that a lot of that was probably going through her mind that I've already been out here longer than everyone. And in addition to that. What else do I really have to prove? I've already won twice. And she understands her limitations. And so I do have a respect for Sandra because a lot of people come into this game and have expectations of themselves or they think that they're able to do things that they're not. Sandra has learned a lot about herself and her capabilities and and how she can play this game. She knows what she's good at and she knows what she's not good at. And so this idea of her expecting to win the challenge to come back in, she certainly realizing what her non-strengths are and yeah and challenges are one of those areas that she doesn't really excel in so i i understand entirely why she did it because for her there's no point in sitting there knowing that the chances of her beating these people that she's trying to compete against is slim to none but it would have been nice if she had stayed at least one night you know yeah yeah. And, you, you know, you mentioned challenges. I mentioned challenges. And for anyone, because I've seen this, some people have been saying, well, maybe it'll be different this time and there wouldn't be a challenge to get back in. Uh, but remember, they know that's how they will have a chance to return, because even if you ignore that, we all just know. All right. And I, I know some people were saying, well, you don't really know. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, the fire token menu specifically has a price for an advantage in the return challenge. Right. And you can buy several of them, meaning there's more than one stage. And, you know, it's not just some little puzzle to get back. in. Right. And the other thing, too, it's interesting that you mentioned the tokens. The she also knows she has no tokens and she has no idea how many tokens people have acquired while they're there. And if there's a chance to buy an advantage, I don't it's not like she's going to have time to do that. Right. So there's that component as well. Yeah. Now, she, you know, you mentioned about her knowing her strengths and she actually tweeted that. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses, whether it was right or wrong in your eyes. It was my decision. I stand behind my decision. Edge of extinction was not for me. And to me, that sums it up perfectly. Now, to be clear, you know, I'm not saying it was the right move in every situation. I'm saying it was a completely understandable move Mm -hmm. and I can't argue against it in her specific case. Right. On top of that. I have a very strong feeling she knows the person who returns from the edge in this all winter season is not going to win. I, I, I just feel like there's some sort of 
whether spoken or unspoken agreement, I don't think they're going to allow a Chris Underwood situation to happen. Mm, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I do. I think that this is a much different group of people, obviously, because they're all winners. They're returning players. They have kind of an unwritten respect for each other. But I think com- what comes with that is also as much as I respect you, I respect the game more kind right. of idea. And so if you are out and you're sitting on the edge, I feel like they are going to be of the mind that you're out of the game. I don't care if you get back in. You were out of the game. You got voted out. And I thought that that was interesting. One of the things that Sandra said was that she got voted out. So she was done in the game. And and, and she didn't use those exact words, but it was very similar. And it's something that we've talked about with the edge that, yeah, you got voted out. Normally, when you get voted out, you are done playing the game. You know, so you you are out of the game at that point, although with the edge, there's this weird ability to come back in. But those players know a game that doesn't include the edge and they understand when your torch is snuffed, you're out of the game. It'll be sad that she's not going to be on the jury, though. That would have been fun to to see for sure. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something very a, a good point. You know, you're out of the game. And I got into a bit of a Twitter debate with Dalton Ross when I took issue with the language he used in an article saying Sandra quit the game. Now you used the word quit also, but you didn't say she quit the game. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't quit the game. Right. She was voted out of the game. Mm-hmm. She left the edge of extinction. Right. Yeah. The edge gave her a chance to return to the game, but no, she did not quit the game. And, you know, others have pointed out that the edge has a specific game mechanic for people who don't want to stay. So from that standpoint, she didn't even quit the edge. She just chose to raise the flag and leave. Mm-hmm. You know, now, either way, it's very different from quitting the actual game. Yes. She was already voted out. Yes. She already lost. We already did a podcast about why she lost. <laughs> uh, you know, Survivor's definition of the game has historically been that when you're, you're out, when your torch is snuffed. Right. And, you know, then there have been twists that gave some opportunities to come back into the game. Mm-hmm. And this is just one of those twists that a lot of us don't like. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, you so, know. Yeah. Now, in any case, I was sad to see it end this way for her. I, I wish, I mean, for many reasons, this is no secret to anyone. I wish that there hadn't been an edge of extinction. But in this case, it's because I, I just wish she had been voted out and done. And we didn't even need to have this discussion right. with anyone who think that it somehow tarnished her legacy. Yes. Queen stays I- queen. Thank you. I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think that it is a very extreme response that people are thinking that this tarnishes her legacy in some way. Because there was this strange component, this new added part of the game, Edge of Extinction, is now going to tarnish the fact that she managed to win twice. You know, like that's not, that's not even like, it doesn't make sense. It hasn't tarnished her legacy. She made a decision and she made a decision that made sense for her in that moment and and her particular game. And it does not take away at all the two wins that she's already accomplished. Right. All right. Well, now that we're done, you know, with what was essentially a postscript to last week's podcast, Mm -hmm. um, we could move on and talk about last week's podcast some more because I was (laughs) half right in my prediction last week in that I correctly predicted Sele would lose the immunity challenge. Um, yeah, that's you all are constantly <laughs> trying to give yourself extra credit. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. 
Yeah, I was not. I've always told my sons, always do the extra credit. That's true. Extra credit, always do it. But here you don't get credit for that. I'm sorry. Just because you said Sele went. Hold on. I'm marking it down. (laughs) What are you marking down? (laughs) I get my extra credit. (laughs) You have a point system? This is great. Yeah. Um, I had no idea. I had no idea. But I do lose points uh, because I didn't foresee Yule getting voted out. And I was also wrong. See, I point out when I'm wrong, too, okay. although it only happens like once every season. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I was also wrong when I said that Yule and Nick obviously were in on Wendell's act when he was openly negotiating yes. with Parvati. Because it turns out he wasn't so much. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. So I was actually thinking of you when that moment was happening. I should have tweeted and said something. Well, about I it. did tweet. I, I said, know, but I should I have pointed it said, out to you. Like, was up. And then I would have said, oh, there you go. Tweeting after me again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. do I get a demerit for that? You're going to start yes. writing Hold that on. down, too. <laughs> All right. He's keeping score, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can't even imagine so, how many minuses I have on that sheet. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I'd show you, but uh, I ran out of paper. So, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible. That's so mean. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, but, oh, goodness. Uh, so anyway, moving on, you know, this week we said goodbye to yet another old schooler. Uh, the last one in the game, depending yeah. on how you define it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the issue of him being the last one will come up later as we look at Ewell's game compared to the rules I originally wrote way back after season one and have been modifying ever since including a couple mentions of Yule himself. Mm-hmm. As always, we'll look at all the non-spoiler information available to us from what we saw on TV, CBS All Access clips, and some interesting things from social media. The latest version of those rules, which is not for this specific season, but is for Rob or at robhaswebsite.com slash blog slash Survivor Rules. Or you can get the shorter and much more colorful version of the rules in poster form, at tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster 2. And uh, so you can see this is this is not the normal size mm-hmm. poster. I don't know how much of this is in screen here, but that is the extra large version of the poster that Jessica got for my birthday. Yes. Which started the whole thing of the posters. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, so I, I now have that as my backdrop here, but there's a another new way to get it. In T-shirt form, Yay! and that's uh, what I'm wearing here. This is the uh, for those of you who saw me when I was in LA. This was the sample shirt that uh, we had gotten, and we finally got them uh, all together. Figured out how to get them in the store, and we've been so we've been hinting at it for a little while. It is now available. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is head over to the Rob Has a Podcast merchandise store to get it. Uh, go to robhasawebsite.com or robhasapodcast.com and click on the merch link near the top. Uh, then you can just sort the store so that the new items are first, and boom, they're right there. Uh, we have men's and women's T-shirts. Very so you people can have one just like me if you wanted to wear instead of have a poster or, you know, do both. You can certainly have both. I have one. It's kind of in the background here. I That's where I put it today. But it is 11 by 17. It does look really great in a frame. I did have someone just uh, who ordered one and asked about the frame. 11 by 17 glass size and it really looks nice it certainly is great obviously yours is much bigger but 
It is a wonderful size for if you want to hang it up on your wall, bring it to work, whatever you want to do. I've seen teachers have them in their classroom, which is quite awesome. So thank you for that. And uh, yeah, and the posters are great. T-shirts, great. 20 bucks for each. Buy them both. That's a way to do That's it. Right. Just buy them both. That's right. And of course, for anyone who doesn't know, they're, you know, these were designed and d- drawn by Eric Reichenbach, designed by him and you, Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that was, you know, all part of the surprise for my birthday a couple birthdays ago. Oh, it was so much fun putting it together. So I, I yes. definitely had a good time. It turned out wonderful. I yes. had no expectation that Eric was going to pull that off. It's great. It looks really yeah. nice behind you. I like this. Yeah. And so uh, uh, anyone who's just listening here, see, this is this is what you're missing. You know, right. sample, you know, but uh <laughs> So, uh, by the way, you mentioned anybody who's asking for a frame. I do have a frame that I have used in my own office. Uh, obviously, it's not as big as the one hanging behind me. Um, but uh, anyone who wants uh, to know the Amazon link for that can just hit me up on Twitter. Perfect. Uh, so, again, you can get the poster at tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster 2 or the shirts at the RHAP merch store. Excellent. All right. Uh, so. We've already discussed Sandra leaving the edge, but another topic I want to bring up before we get to the rules is the way Jeff Probst keeps talking about the old school players getting voted off as if it's because they couldn't keep up with the new school game. Mm. You know, Rob and Chrissy discussed this on the recap podcast, and I completely agree. It's, it's not a matter of the old schoolers not being able to keep up. It's not like the newer players were running circles around them. It's that so many of the old school players walked in with huge targets, as we've already discussed yeah. in those individual podcasts. Right. I, I feel like this was Jeff, you know, patting himself on the back for mm-hmm. all the twists that he's introduced. Like, oh, look at all these changes. These old schoolers can't keep up. No. Well, and you know, what's interesting about that point is if you just go back to the first episode when Harvardy and Boston Rob were talking about how they weren't being <laughs> yeah. targeted. And are these people dumb? Do they have any idea how to play this game? So there was already a realization and an understanding from those players, from those old school players, that they were going to have huge targets on their back. And the fact that the new schoolers were not targeting them immediately shocked Parvati and Boston Rob. So I feel like everyone knew that that was happening. And the mere fact that we didn't see that happen immediately in the the first vote, that it was a Parvati or a Boston Rob being sent home just goes to show that the new schoolers were not running circles around the old schoolers. The old schoolers were actually pulling stuff off that nobody expected to happen. in you know, that first episode. So I, I feel like there was a there's kind of a disconnect there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would still say it was mostly that people just wanted to keep the old schoolers around for shields. Oh, for uh, sure. But, but yeah, you know, again, it's not this, Oh my gosh, these old schoolers, they're so tired and slow and, <laughs> You know, no, that's not the way it is. Right, right. Um, I've also seen some people, uh, and and you know who you are, uh, not you, um, (laughs) say say that the way things have gone so far this season make it obvious there's some full-on new schooler alliance. You know, oh, all the new schoolers got together and said, let's vote out the old schoolers. And I disagree with that as well. Mm. Do I think that some of the new schoolers had alliances? Yes. And we'll be talking about one, you know, as we move forward in this podcast. But every week we've discussed the very good reasons that each player was voted out. There doesn't have to be some grand conspiracy of all the new schoolers to target someone 
who has a huge target already, like Rob Sander or Parvati. Right. And we'll also talk about whether this came into play for Yule as we get into the rest of this week's podcast. I know, poor Yule. He's like, when are you going to talk about me? We're getting yeah. there. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff to cover. Some people suggested that this podcast should just be me saying Yule and you saying Yule back and me <gasps> saying Yule and you saying Yule back. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Well, it wouldn't be exactly, uh, you know, uh, awesome listening or viewing. So. No, but it would be funny for a little while at least. Yes, yes. Um, so. Speaking of Yule, yeah, so many people were excited to see him return to Survivor. But mm -hmm. the question was always whether the other players would be less excited and more worried about getting him out. He seemed to do very well in the early goings. So what changed? Jeff Probst said in an interview, I don't think you can blame Yule for anything specific regarding his gameplay. Well, Jeff will be the judge of that. <laughs> so let's You're figure having out. fun with Jeff yes. today. <laughs> oh, yeah. So let's figure out. For real, why you all lost. Uh, we'll start for the third week in a row with the sixth rule. And we could go straight to what Michelle said in this episode. Uh, quote, it makes sense to get rid of Yule because he's super strategic and he will probably win at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty straightforward call out as a big threat. Yeah. Mind you, that's not saying it's the only reason, but it was certainly something she was thinking about. I know Yule isn't Sandra or Rob or Parvati. There has always been a great deal of reverence for him in the Survivor fandom as a whole, and mm -hmm. that includes other players. That made him a likely target, though I noted in our preview podcast that while he would come into the game of, as a legend of sorts, I didn't expect the target to be on him in the early goings like I thought it would be on some of the others. And I was right about that, but it eventually did catch up to him. Yeah, I do think that Yule is one of those players that there's such a respect for the game that he played previously and his ability to really, I mean, be a likable person, but at the same time be deemed like the godfather and the puppet master and not be viewed negatively for being that way and for playing the game that he played. He just had such a great presence about him when he played previously. And I think that that came from his season. And he's talked a lot about that, about the components of his season that made it more difficult for him because he was representing his culture. So I, but I think that his play then really enabled people to understand how he was going to play this time. And he expected that coming in. I mean, he said in his pregame interviews, people know how I played before. They're going to expect me to be this loyal person. And I'm going to lean into that. I'm definitely going to lean into that. But at the same time, I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff under the surface that they don't know is happening. And I think that's exactly what we saw. So he certainly came in with that target on his back already because of the previous game that he played because really if you sit next to yule at the end oh my word you know i mean he's just he's such a nice guy and he's so likable and he's also very well spoken and he's very intelligent so going up against him in a final tribal council like that you'd be hard pressed to, to beat him for sure yeah and it's not just his history that was an issue for him but the his current game as well mm -hmm. you know wendell said to michelle as soon as they got back from losing the challenge Yule's going to try to work some magic. He knew what Yule would do and that Yule would come for him. That made Yule a direct threat to Wendell. Mm -hmm. But the real question still goes back to Nick and Michelle, since it seems they were the decision makers and they had a choice between Yule or Wendell. As Nick told Michelle, if they went forward with Yule, they would be locked into his plans and have less flexibility. And to their minds, that made Yule a threat to their games as well. 
And I'm curious, and I don't know if this is the, the appropriate time to speak about this, but no, <laughs> I take the demerit. <laughs> um, also, if you're thinking about Endgame, oh, here he goes, <laughs> taking notes. And this understanding that everybody who's sitting on the edge is going to be part of the jury. And I, and I know that there's this old school, new school kind of division happening, but you are taking Yule and running the risk of sitting next to him in a final tribal when most of the jury is going to be comp- composed of those previous old school players that might have respect for Yule and just want to vote. And not that I'm saying that they would do that because I, I don't know if we, if we've got a group of people that would, that would want to define their, their winner in that, in that right. fashion. But maybe it's something they thought about that who has more respect or friends on that jury than we do. Well, Yule certainly has way more than we do just because of where he comes from. And I don't know if that's something that they considered as well. Yeah, I had uh, planned to talk about that later, but it does actually fit here as well. And uh, so I I may bring it up again. But yeah, it's it's something that Chrissy also brought up on the recap podcast uh, that, you know, the jury right now is made up of old schoolers. Now, obviously, by the time it gets to the end, it'll even out some more. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that that is threatening from an endgame perspective Mm -hmm. of are they all just going to vote for Yule because he was the only old schooler that didn't get voted out. Right. Yeah. It's a possibility. Um, so, but uh, you know, one other thing that I had mentioned was that Yule avoided becoming one of the immediate targets on his initial tribe. And, you know, considering he came in as a threat, we need to ask, how did he do that? So let's move on to the first rule to discuss that because it talks about the need to scheme and plot. And I always say it's the most important rule. Yule's situation is a good example of why that is. He was one of a number of players with those big targets, but he was able to manipulate the situation to his advantage. Mm-hmm. It's, it's clear that he claim it came in with a plan. He wanted to align with the single time players who won fairly recently and those who probably weren't as embedded in the survivor community. So that would, you know, that's where Sophie came in. And this also helps explain the pregame alliance that he had made with Nick and Michelle, uh, though obviously, you know, that didn't last long enough for him. Uh, he also clearly did his homework and learned about the poker show with Rob, Tyson, Kim, and Jim. Yes. <laughs> he said in a tweet to Tyson, and this is, you know, weeks ago, I had read somewhere that you and Rob were into poker. If you search for Tyson Boston Rob poker on Google, One of the first links that comes up is this article with footage of the poker game. And he said on Twitter after the premiere and before the powers that be put the kibosh on him discussing (laughs) such matters openly ever again. Um, Yeah. But in that first glorious week when he was allowed to, well, when he explained things without realizing he wasn't allowed to do that, Mm -hmm. uh, he said, quote, I had no idea if this was real. But I figured it didn't matter as long as I could use this to put an immediate target on other people, especially some of the biggest threats in the game, and build a separate alliance quietly. Well, this rule says to start strategizing the minute you hit the beach. And he went beyond that. He researched and planned and he got himself in a great position right off the bat. Oh, I, I love this move so much because this is one of those situations that we are seeing this season that we've never seen before, where those pre-game alliances or outside relationships are actually being openly discussed 
at tribal councils with Jeff Probst. I mean, this is something that CBS ever wanted to acknowledge actually happened. And, and they, they don't want people to form those alliances. But in this season, everyone is owning it. And the fact that you will understood that that was going to happen and knowing that he was so far removed from the survivor community because he really hasn't ingratiated himself into all of those things that survivors tend to do together that he needed to find his foothold and he did that by doing research and finding out this one strange little conversation that occurred at a poker game and then turned it into this poker alliance that really wasn't a thing but it was just mentioned in passing years ago, and he used that to his full advantage. And what I love about it, and this is something that we've heard Tyson talk about numerous times, if you take things that happen outside of the game and try to put them into the game, it makes it very difficult for anyone to deny that it happened because they, they can't. You know, he talked right. about things at Ponderosa, trying to mention that he overheard conversations happening at Ponderosa. And you can't deny that those things happened because it happened back then and not in the game. So this was kind of a Tyson trick to be doing this, but a Tyson trick against Tyson. So it was yeah. <laughs> it was really incredible to watch it happen and that people really grabbed onto it and it caught momentum and all he had to do was put it out there and then he just kind of let it go. It was wonderful television and it was wonderful strategy because it it made people start to think. It, other people were starting to put relationships together and it was even spreading out Outside of just those people, like, was Jeremy Collins even at that game? Like, at the poker game? Yes, I believe he was. Okay, because Amber got sucked in because of Rob, but it just seemed like it had tentacles and it just kind of kept bringing people in. So it was really an interesting thing to watch and a wonderful strategy for him walking in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, everybody's always looking for the first person to boot off. So Mm -hmm. any reason to do that and making up a whole whole conspiracy you know a whole alliance i mean hey that's great uh and he also had other elements of scheming and plotting as well which is not a surprise because remember this is the guy who was pulling strings like a puppet master on his first season Mm -hmm. Uh, again in his season premiere tweet he discussed how he influenced people saying in general i try to avoid telling people what to do or being too obvious with my opinions i found it's usually more effective to share enough information and frame it in a way that it will lead to a natural conclusion, but stop short and ask the person for their thoughts slash advice. Mm-hmm. Once they hopefully reach the conclusion on their own, I'll agree with them. That way the person feels a sense of ownership and control. It's less likely that things will be attributed back to me. And you know, that's a good way to avoid putting yourself out there too much and drawing a target. You know, earlier I said about Sandra, queen stays queen. Here I would add that with this strategizing, Yule stays Yule. Mm, he stays the puppet master. Yes. <laughs> For sure. Well, I do think that his um, approach to all of the conversations that we saw him have were always very open. And there never seemed to be this, um, this sense of like there was no anger. Even when we saw that conversation with Wendell, when he apologized to Wendell as he was pointing out some of the issues and concerns that he saw in tribal council and Wendell's conversations and things he was saying, he literally apologized in the middle of that conversation. And I think to really make it seem as if he's not trying to tell Wendell what to do and he's not trying to point out faults of Wendell, he's letting him know how he feels. And I'm really sorry. I hope you're okay with this. So again, it's, it's being mindful of the other person when he's talking to them 
but also being mindful of the game as he's having those conversations, because he knows that those conversations can have an effect. And then he uses it to his benefit when he sees other people having conversations differently. When we saw Wendell and Michelle talking and he overheard that conversation and it didn't sound like the same conversation he had with Wendell. And then he used that to his advantage with Michelle to point out concerns with Wendell. So he has a wonderful way of utilizing the way he speaks to people and the way that other people speak to each other. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we can move on to the second rule, which says not to scheme and plot too much or too openly. One question is whether you all talking to Wendell about his concerns, like you were you were just mentioning, mm-hmm. would fall into this category or whether it caused Nick to worry because you all showed that he was willing to turn on an ally. There's also the question of whether the scene we saw of you all talking about how to get fire tokens impacted on this rule because he was doing some manipulative calculations about the whole situation. And it seems like producers at least want us to believe that this was what put Ewell in danger. Now, I don't think either of these was a specific inciting incident that caused Nick to balk. Rather, I think that over the time they worked together, Nick got a deeper view into Ewell's overall ability to plan, which led him to the conclusion that we discussed already in rule six about you were locking them into playing a certain way. Yeah, I, I do think the fire tokens was just overdone this whole episode. We've already seen the conversations had between Wendell and Parvati with the fire tokens. So this has already been a thing that has been discussed openly, even again, during tribal council. So I don't think anyone would be looking at that and being appalled or shocked because right. it's been discussed and people have talked about getting fire tokens and, you know, and, it was a very open dialogue that Michelle was having with Yule about the fire tokens. And so I, I don't think that the fire tokens was came into play at all with people being concerned that he was scheming and plotting in relationship to the fire tokens. I think it had everything to do with all the other reasons we've talked about with him being a threat. It had nothing to do with the fire tokens. That was just right. smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Now, I, I do wonder if Yule had maybe a little too much confidence in his pregame alliance with Nick and Michelle. Mm. It seemed like he was pretty certain they were going to vote with him. And it was interesting that when they were talking about the vote, he told Michelle, you have nothing to worry about. Yeah. As, as if it was you know, obvious, even though she had started on a different tribe and there was a tight alliance of the three guys on the original tribe. And I th- also think it's interesting that here's a guy who called out a pregame alliance that wasn't even actually a real alliance, the poker alliance, and put that on display for everyone and, and caused people you know, anxiety about this poker alliance and, and trying to split up these individuals and not letting them play together. And he actually had a pregame alliance that he was well, yeah. that he was utilizing to his benefit. So it's almost as if he was calling people out for doing exactly what he was doing. And it, I feel like it kind of bit him in the butt, really, because he, I think, put too much stock into Nick and Michelle, especially Nick. I think that he really thought that that was going to carry him through the game further than it did. And I feel like, you know, Michelle, more so than Nick, was probably keeping her options a little more open and realizing Michelle probably realized the relationship between Nick and Yule. And that's three people. So, you know, who do you do you want to go with three or do you want to go with one other person? Because at some point there might be a split at some point they might have to vote for someone. And if she's feeling like she's not as significant to Yule as Nick is, well then maybe she's thinking I gotta jump ship and find someone else. 
And, you know, who knows if Nick was having that same conversation with himself. But I, I'm curious if that pregame alliance ended up hurting him as opposed to helping him. I don't think it would have hurt him per se. I just think he had to remember kind of like what we were talking about, you know, how how tight is a pregame alliance? How long is it going right. to last, really? Right. Now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be right back. We're back. So let's get back to the show. All right. Well, next up is the third rule and uh, which talks about being flexible. As we've discussed, Nick was worried that they'd be too locked in if they went along with you all. How do you think you all did here? Well, I think that you all did a nice job in kind of seeing where the, the tribe was at and determining what direction he wanted things to go. And so he wasn't necessarily locked into any one thing like the the first vote for Amber that we saw, you know, where it was they they needed to pick a person and it was going to be one of these three. And he wasn't locking himself into any one of those three. He was keeping his options open and kind of listening to what other people wanted. So I, I feel like he did well in taking into account what the desires of the other people were and then kind of formulating that plan and making it happen. So I think his flexibility was good, but I also do feel like he was steadfast in working with particular people like we've talked about with Nick and Michelle. And so he wasn't as flexible in his willingness to divide or pull away from those people and was feeling a little too sure of himself as far as that alliance was concerned. So it was interesting to see him this episode talk about the prospect of voting out Wendell, but he didn't talk about the prospect of voting out Michelle or Nick. It was always just Wendell. Yeah, that's true. Um, I was thinking along more longer term lines flexibility, but you're right. He, you know, why didn't he talk about voting out Michelle? I mean, maybe he did and we just didn't see it. You know, there's only so much we can see, but I I think on a longer term situation, I thought he was doing well because Mm -hmm. he had his one time player allies. And then he also worked with the Sarah, the Sarah, Tony Sandra group. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he fully intended to turn on that, that smaller group when the time was right. He just never had a chance. Right. But, you know, on the flip side, he, he put the crosshairs on Kim, but then he saved her. Uh, you know, he told her she'd be okay. in that Amber vote and then reached out further to work with her. So I think Kim could have been an ally at the merge if he made it. Mm-hmm. And, that meant he had several different directions he could have gone at the merge. And I, I think that the type of flexibility that Nick worried about was the flexibility that Yule had already been building for himself. But Nick was just one spoke off of that while Yule was the hub. Yeah. So Nick wouldn't have had that flexibility. He couldn't have jumped to those other groups because Yule was really the connection there. Oh, yeah, and that's a great point. So Yule would have had that flexibility, but Nick wouldn't have. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's a very legit thing to to focus at is when you're when you're looking at how an alliance is formulated and, and how it's working, there's usually one person who is a little more in charge than the other people. And at some point the other people are gonna start to look at it and go, What are we doing? You know, why are we this person's gonna get credit for everything we're all doing. We gotta flip the script and we need to change this up. And it's quite possible that that's what Nick and Michelle were worried about moving forward is that their game wouldn't have been the way they wanted to play, especially with Michelle. I mean, Michelle is she came into this game wanting to 
you know, correct the idea that she shouldn't have won the season that she won. And I, I did air quotes from anybody who didn't see that. If you're just listening. Yeah. So she is very adamant in proving that she can play this game and she's doing a hell of a job at this point. So I think for her locking herself in with someone like Yule is only going to support this idea that Michelle doesn't necessarily know how to play survivor. So she's got to, she's got to tie herself to Yule so good for Michelle for showing that, no, I don't need to do that. I'm going to forge my own path and I'm going to go this direction. So I think that that was probably a huge reason for at least Michelle and likely Nick to vote at Yule. Yeah, it'll be interesting as things go on, because we've heard from Michelle multiple times that this is why she's playing to show this. Mm-hmm. And we both know we've seen it before. If you go in with any other goal besides just winning however you can win often you're not going to win. If right. your goal is to to prove that you can do it, yeah. then you're not really necessarily, and I'm not saying Michelle has done anything wrong because I haven't seen anything wrong that she's done. I'm just saying if this path continues, it would not surprise me if at some point we're talking about why Michelle lost and it's because she was more focused on proving herself than mm-hmm. on winning. Yeah. Now, the thing may be, we're, we may be seeing these quotes because she ends up winning. But, you know, I, oh, I yeah. don't know. Uh, but it's just one thing to keep in mind. It's, you know, we've seen it before with others, you know, like uh big Wendy's goal was to uh, save the chickens. Yeah. Now, this is, this is way different from that. But yeah. again, if you're, if you're making decisions, not just based on winning, but based on winning a certain way, yeah, then, you know, we'll just have to see if it comes back to bite her. Yeah. I mean, so far I, I feel like she's doing a really good job balancing all yes. of that out. And she got some really badass music leading up to tribal. So I, I'm like jealous of that whole, like that whole setup. That was so you great. You better be ready. Oh my God. It's so good. So yeah, that's definitely good for her. Like I'm very, yes. I'm very proud of her. I think that's great. Back to you all. Right. I'm sorry. Back to you. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Uh, so I thought you said back to you, like we're on some news. No, you all. Back to you, David. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So uh, we can move on to the fourth rule, which tells players not to let their emotions control them. And I don't think Ewell had any problem here. No. He made decisions based on how they would impact his game. Uh, it's kind of funny. We were just talking about the Michelle thing. If that comes into play, this might be where we would talk about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for example, he had indicated on Twitter that he felt bad about voting out Amber first, but it had to be done. Yeah. And he is probably one of the most analytical survivor players we've ever seen. Yeah. You want to talk about doing computations in your head. It's this guy. So I don't think ever was there any emotional component coming into it. It was really how do I further my game and how best can I get to the end? And he did talk about that, too, with the having the shields and how would, how would that benefit his game versus this idea of taking people like that out. So I think he he didn't have any issue at all with this. Not at all. Right. Uh, so we move on to the fifth rule, which I think is another place, you know, a, a similar answer because it's about the social game and reminds players to pretend to be nice. I don't think he had any issues here either. Do you? No, he didn't need to pretend. Yeah. <laughs> He's just a really nice guy. And right. for anyone who has not read his Wikipedia page, I'm just going to throw this in here. You got to read this guy's Wikipedia page. I mean, it is incredibly impressive. You want to talk about someone who has taken life and just lived it to the fullest. It's Yule. For sure. So just check it out. I'm just going to throw that okay. out there. <laughs> All right. Um, now, we already covered the sixth rule, so we can just move on to the seventh here, which covers idols and advantages. Now, Yule didn't have either. 
I would say fire tokens fall into this rule. And we already discussed how he was trying to figure out how to get some. I just don't think it really factors one way or another into his loss. No, I don't. I do like that he split up his fire tokens and gave one to Sarah and one to Sophie. I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. That was a good move. Yeah, I don't think those tokens had anything to do with the decision. I really don't. And I really do think that this group of players is appreciating the idea of tokens and what they can do with them. So I don't think that they would be faulting anyone for trying to utilize that as a negotiation tactic. Yeah. All right. So we move on to Appendix A, which is about the rest of the tribe keeping their end goals in mind when voting. And as we near the merge, it's less about voting out the weak or the strong and more about setting yourself up to have good allies. Uh, The members of this tribe knew the merge was coming shortly, if not immediately. They all did. Everybody in the game did. And, you know, they needed to decide who they wanted to move forward with. It looks like that's exactly what was happening. Mm -hmm. Michelle tweeted, Nick and I made made the decision together based on what we thought would be best for us at the merge. Strategy wise and without emotion, we felt it made the most sense to stick with Wendell. Uh, so it's almost like she's already saying, Hey, you know, we followed that rule yes. that you just talked about. Yes. Uh, so, you know, those two were the decision makers determining whether to stick with Yule or Wendell. And despite any misgivings they might have had, they kept Wendell. But I don't think at all that this was a slam dunk because Nick posted to social media, at least to Facebook, maybe elsewhere, how he had hoped the four of them would indeed be the final four. And losing that challenge was horrible for him. But he had to make a decision that was best for his game. Mm -hmm. And I also am curious, and I could be wrong. This is my conspiracy theory kicking in here. But I do feel like, I know you love this, right? That the whole Wendell-Michelle relationship, I feel like the two of them are playing it up a lot. Oh, okay. That's my theory. So, so, yeah, I, 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 hold on, I... Oh, do you, I was going to get into this. Oh, I like I this. Sk- I like it. Yeah, okay. I could skip ahead a little bit okay. here, but I'm really not sure about their relationship. You know, it, it seems like Michelle is willing to vote out Wendell if that was what Nick wanted. You know, it's based on what we saw and based on her tweet. Mm-hmm. And she said that there was a part of her on the show, she said this, that wanted revenge on Wendell for whatever it was that happened in that relationship. Mm-hmm. But even as exes, I feel like there can often be trust between two people, yeah. if not trust and understanding in a situation like this. I just don't think it's going to last between them for the long term because we've seen too many scenes of Wendell speaking negatively towards Michelle. I mean, even after he apologized to her for the way he acted in the prior tribal council. He then was getting mad at her for telling him how to play the game. Well, but here's yeah. this is why I feel like this is happening is and we've already talked about the conversation that Wendell and Ewell had and how right. Wendell was willing to listen. He didn't seem offended. And I feel like Ewell came at Wendell just as much as Michelle did, if not more. And his response to Michelle was, oh, you know. Thanks for telling me how to play the game. And, you know, like, and he got all offended. But who was sitting there listening? Yule. So I just, I wonder, I wonder if it's, if it's more of a, hey, let's make people think there's more of a divide between the two of us, even though there's not as much. And I'm not saying that there isn't. I'm sure that there probably are some 
there's some animosity there. There's a past relationship. There's some issues. But I, I'm curious, too, if this isn't kind of a let's build into it a little bit. Let's let's act like it's a little bit worse than it is to try to throw people off and think that, oh, well, Wendell is not going to want to work with Michelle. Michelle's not going to want to work with Wendell. And there's an issue between the two of them. I don't know. I just I feel like yeah, there might I mean, be something I- there. I got to tell you, because Chrissy, you know, the reason I planned on talking about this was Chrissy wondered about it on the recap podcast also. And if those two are acting, hand hand them both Emmys now, Mm, mm -hmm. because that was the most realistic portrayal of two exes (laughs) talking to each other I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, even even when Yule was talking to Wendell, Wendell's words came out well, but the look on his face was not one of. Yes, I love to hear from you, mm-hmm. and I'm so happy. It was like, I'm going to sit here and listen to this, even though I'm not real happy. Mm-hmm. And then, on top of it, his ex-girlfriend tells him, in his mind, what to do. I mean, come on. We've all had conversations with, whether it's current relationships or worse, former relationships. And when someone like that tells you what to do, you know, even if it's something like, you're mad at your spouse, you know, for something you're not even exes. You're, you know, it's your current relationship Mm -hmm. and you're mad at them about something. If they tell you something and you interpret it as them telling you what to do, you're still going to snap at them more than just some random person. And that's true. That is fair. That is fair. I just think it's interesting. And if they are, if that's what's going on, kudos to them. Because that's pretty impressive. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, give them an Emmy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, forget about a reality TV Emmy. I'm talking an (laughs) acting one. Um, But, you know, there's that relationship is actually just one of kind of a a triangle of relationships there. Because obviously there's, you know, them, the the exes who used to kick it. Uh, (laughs) There's there's Wendell and Nick who were in the same alliance on their original tribe. And then there's Nick and Michelle who had a pregame alliance. Yeah. Now, Nick and Wendell don't know each other outside the game, but Nick did mention in his pregame interview, um, I think it was with Gordon Holmes, that Wendell was a friend of Davies. So he felt good about that possible connection. Mm -hmm. And by the way, thanks to not John Fincher on Twitter for reminding me about that one, because I remembered it. After he pointed it out, I had forgotten about the whole Wendell Davy thing yep. because I had dismissed it in our preview show. So it wasn't anything that I locked in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know if Nick and Michelle knew each other outside the game. I don't remember seeing anything on social media that would have indicated strong connections. But then again, I don't remember seeing anything on social media about Michelle and Wendell. So, you know, not everybody goes fully public on social media with every friendship and relationship. And it's weird. I thought it was strange too, that when Nick was asked about pregame alliances, that he piped up Yule and Michelle, because I went, wait, what? (laughs) How do they even know each other? Because it isn't, it isn't something that, I would have anticipated. And maybe that's why the three of them ended up pulling this off because it was so unexpected. You know, there is no relationship between any of them. So no one is going to think that there was a pregame alliance amongst those three. It's yeah. And also remember, yeah. Also remember that Nick and Michelle fall into exactly the group that you wanted to align himself with. For sure. Yeah. Um, So now, yeah, but speaking about, uh, you know, Nick and Wendell, because they made this decision, they now have to go back and explain to their alliance 
why they voted out you. Yeah. And I, I do think the vote against Sandra may have helped them because it struck kind of the first blow against their original tribal alliance, mm-hmm. or at least that may be how they interpreted it. Um, but she wasn't even in their smaller one-time player alliance. But just, like I just mentioned, Michelle does fit into that group. So they may just figure it's kind of easy to integrate her into uh, into that group. Yeah, and that, and I'm, I am curious too, because we are on the heels of Emerge, and I feel like people are going to be more understanding about vote outs that occur right before the merge because everyone's kind of anticipating that this is happening. And though we didn't mention it, as far as Yule is concerned, he's a very good, I mean, he's great at challenges, you know? So if we're talking about individual immunity, he's got a very good chance of winning individual immunity just based on his physical abilities. So I think everyone kind of thinks about that, getting closer to Emerge, and there's probably going to be this like, okay, well, that makes sense because we are on the heels of Emerge and he could likely win. So I don't, I don't feel like there's going to be a whole lot of blowback. I think Sophie is going to be very upset to see that he's gone. But I think there's right. also going to be some type of a thank you, if you will. I mean, we saw that very similar idea with um, Tony when he was talking about Denise taking out Sandra. You know, there is kind of like this, oh, good, you did it. I didn't have to. So you're going to get credit for it. But it's done. Now it's done. And I don't have to worry about that later. So that might be something that Sophie looks at and says, well, now I don't have to worry about voting out you later. It's already done. Yeah, but it was his her nerd shield. Oh, so, for sure. You know. I Don't get me wrong. But I do think that yeah. Sophie has formed really great relationships since they right. split. So she might be able to appreciate it and say, okay, I can deal with this because I've got other options. Yeah. Yeah. Now, besides the relationships among the remaining three from this tribe, I did want to bring up um, the the one factor. This was where I was going to bring up what you brought up way back at rule six, Mm. which was, you know, the, the edge of extinction and whether the jury considered that. And, what that means, if if they took into account that the all these pre-merge old schoolers were going to be on the jury, then that means that without Edge of Extinction, that factor wouldn't wouldn't have been there, and Yule might have stayed. Yes. Now, I, I suspect it wasn't a huge influence, but remember that Michelle said he would probably win at the end, so she could have been talking about that factor, and if so. That's one more reason to hate the edge of extinction. Exactly. Yes. I agree with that so. sentiment completely because I do, okay. I do think that obviously survivor likes to add twists and make people think differently about the game and throw people off and, and all of those wonderful components with all of the, the, the things that get thrown in. But this is one of those things that, I don't feel like should come into play. Like you shouldn't be looking at the people who have been voted out of the game as a jury member concern. Be like that person's now going to be on the jury and I have to worry about what type of relationship that person has with people left in the game because they shouldn't be on the jury. You know, I mean, this if this was if this was you get voted out, you're not going to be on the jury, even if you want to stay on the edge. Okay, fine. Do the edge. Give them a chance for one of them to come back. And then that's it. And then you all go home and then you go back to the regular jury that we're right, all accustomed right. to seeing. So then that doesn't become a factor that people have to think about. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, I think it's about time to uh, wrap things up for Yule. So what are your final thoughts? Oh, Yule. Yule was someone who came into this game known as the puppet master, the ringleader, the godfather. I mean, these are this is an incredible legacy to have. His game was very respected. And I do think that that, unfortunately for Yule, caused him to have a much larger target because of the game that he came in that people knew he was going to play. He did an incredible job strategizing early on, right away, poker alliance, calling people out on pregame alliances, while at the same time pulling off his own pregame alliance that nobody suspected. I think his ability to utilize the members of his tribe worked to his benefit. He knew how to create relationships, knew how to hide those relationships, but also knew how to get other people to make decisions for him and with him but didn't make it about him. So I think all in all, Yule's game was very well balanced. So why did he end up losing? I think ultimately Yule lost because of all of those factors. You know, I think that Yule was a huge threat coming into this game and someone that no one wanted to sit next to in the final three because of the likability. His He's so smart. And just all of these things that people have seen him already do and then to see him doing it again in this season as well. He's doing it a little bit differently, but he's still being very Yule about it. And I think that everyone saw that and were very concerned about that. And knowing what they were up against, I think the edge might have pushed some people over the edge a little bit as far as why should Yule go and not Wendell. So I think all in all, Yule's reason for losing is that he is, and this will sound crazy, but Yule. (laughs) (laughs) He really is Yule. Yule, Yule, Yule. Yule. Exactly. It's just being Yule. And I know that might sound strange, but you have to have mad respect for his ability to play this game and how he's already done it once and how he played again. And I think that respect will continue for Yule. Yeah. Yeah. Yule came into Winners at War with two things. A target on him and a plan to deflect it elsewhere, such that his tribe mates would be looking where he was pointing instead of at him. And it worked great uh, until they were swapped into three tribes and that tribe lost two in a row. Uh, in theory, he should have been in a good position. He had two members of his tribal alliance and another member of his pregame alliance. But without others to point at anymore, his tribe mates started to see the target Yule himself was wearing. Yule also did a good job of setting himself up to be flexible with several different options you know, for the long term. But Nick was one of those options and seemed to realize that if he went along with Yule, he would lose flexibility. After all, a hub can go in many directions, a spoke in only one. And Nick wouldn't want to be the spoke. He was working with Michelle to make the decision on how to proceed. Going to the merge with Yule would give them fewer options than going with Wendell. And if Yule made it to the end, he would very likely win, as Michelle said. Yule did a good job dodging the label of being a threat for a while, but the tiny tribe made it hard to hide. And it wasn't just his reputation coming into the game, but the way he was playing this season. As I said earlier, Yule stays Yule. But that affected Nick and Michelle in particular. They realized that for the good of their own games, he had to go. And that is why you will lost. Ah, you all. You all. You all, you all, you all, you all. All right. Well, before we get to our predictions, I want to remind everyone that the rules we just discussed are now available in both poster and t-shirt form. Yes. Uh, For the shirt, Go to robhaswebsite.com or robhasapodcast.com. Click on the merch link and sort to see the newer items. 
for the poster, again, not as big as the one behind me, uh, go to tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster 2. Yes. And if you are outside of the United States and would like to order and you cannot do through so, we can't do so. The poster. Through, yes, the poster through eBay. Contact me through Twitter. You can DM me and we can make it happen and get it to you. Yes. Yes. The shirt. Don't contact us. That's a totally separate yes. shop. So that's the RHAP store. Uh, so now it is time for predictions. Mm. The merge is here. <laughs> and that throws everything up in the yeah. air in terms of predictions. Yeah. You know, we're, we're normally so right. Um, exactly. I don't yeah, know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> uh, we, we talked about how Nick and Wendell are going to have some splaining to do. Uh, plus, they're going to want to bring Michelle into the alliance. Now, Sophie, as we mentioned, won't be happy to see her nerd shield gone. Uh, but she's tight with Sarah now, kind of like you mentioned. And she may even want to work with Ben and Adam, even if Adam is apparently being very annoying. Uh, yeah, Tony and Jeremy seem to have bonded. And Jeremy is probably happy to continue working with Denise, who saved him, uh, who, who, of course, has also been aligned with Adam and Ben previously. And Kim seems like she fits into that group as well. So basically, my conclusion is everyone is connected. <laughs> really, that was a great, that was a great, like, oh, wow. I'm, my mind yes. is blown right now. That was awesome. Well, I could it see does the, not make things, the tree yeah. forming. Yeah, all the little branches. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Great yeah. presentation. And right it there. doesn't make it any easier to uh, to pick who's going to go. But now we add in someone returning from edge of extinction mm -hmm. and that's gonna it has the potential to throw things into a bit more chaos or does it <gasps> uh, because it seems yeah it seems like this time the returning player won't come in with a magic idol unless they buy it but i suspect everyone's going to be buying challenge advantages with whatever tokens they have now i i feel like whoever comes back could be an easy target especially if it's someone like robert tyson and the only one to whom this might not apply is Natalie, considering that she's a beast who also has multiple fire tokens. Natalie returning is a very real possibility, except she's virtually disappeared mm -hmm. from Edge of Extinction right. on our TVs. Right. So that makes me think it's not her. You know, if she does come back, Jeremy will probably want to keep her around, which could set off a chain reaction that could just blow everything up. Honestly, it would be best for him if she doesn't come back, even though she would be a tight ally for him because he's got his own allies right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm going to go against the conventional wisdom that's going to be Natalie. And I think it will be Robert Tyson. I'm getting a part gummy me, bear. This is, this is okay. great. I like well, this. I'm getting some me, gummy bears. <laughs> yeah. Part of me. I should quit now and make you talk with gummy bears. Anyway. I love it. I'm done. Go ahead. Uh, but uh, um, part of me thinks it'll be Rob. He just found those those three fire tokens. He declared himself the best there ever was. How many does he have now? Uh, just those three, I think. Amber has what? One? She she has one from the, the wood. She has one from the logs. So she could give that to him, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so, and Tyson has just the one, I think, because he spent the other he one. He bought peanut butter. Yes. How which, much does I mean, it cost I'm, for um, the challenge thing, for the advantage and the challenge? 
Is it one or two? I believe, and don't quote me on this because I didn't go back and check the menu. I'm getting my information from listening to other podcasts. So if I'm wrong, blame them. Uh, But uh, I believe it's one token per advantage and you can get a maximum of three advantages. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. So you can buy three advantages for the challenge. Yes. Wow. I think that's what it is. Now I'm going to... Don't... You know, don't quote me a hundred percent on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here too. Just a little bit. So the other interesting facet that I think whoever comes back in is going to have to be mindful of. Let's say the only option for um, an idol is you, you buy it. That's it. Like there's no free idol like there was when Chris Underwood right. came in, um, or not Chris Underwood. It was Rick Devins at that point, right? So well, and Chris, yeah, and they Rick, both, and they both Chris got Hall, one. Yeah. So right. everyone who is playing probably going to assume that whoever walks back into the game is going to have an idol. If they're following the same logic that they previously right. did when they had edge of extinction, that person comes back with an idol. So is that going to make people more or less likely to vote for that person? Well, okay. First, let me make an official pick as to who returns. Okay. Because I was debating there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think I'm going to go with Tyson. Mm-hmm. Even though Rob has more tokens, I think, that Tyson may just be able to handle the different aspects of the challenge better. And that's a good, that's a fair point. Yeah. But either way, I don't think it will matter. I think whichever one of them returns, it's going to be a revolving door. You're back out. You think so? Um, Yes. I I just don't think that they're going to, uh, you know, keep them around Uh, because I mean, there's no more old schoolers left. Who's going to want Robert Tyson still there. Right now, if we, Look at it, too, from the, okay, if we go back to the S.H.I.E.L.D. idea, someone like a Jeremy Collins or a Tony might really like having a Boston Robert Tyson back in because they're a S.H.I.E.L.D. for them. Yeah, but are they really going to be able to convince all their allies that this is a good idea? Mm. Are they going to go all in on something like this? Also, if there is this idea that or this silent agreement if you will that whoever returns from the edge is not going to win then people might not care and be like whatever they're not we're not going to let them win we'll let them hang around for a little bit be a little bit of shield for us yeah but the thing is if i mean you know at the merge it's like the beginning of the game whoever the easy vote is let's get rid of them and i don't disagree with that Um, i don't disagree with that so I'm just trying to think, I'm trying to put myself into the mindset of someone like an Adam, okay? Because Adam, we've seen this season take very big risks and and approach things from um, a, a much different Adam Klein angle. Like, and he, like he went at Boston Rob with the Parvati vote and, I mean, and I, I love the Adam we're seeing. I like, I like that he's taking a lot of risks and he seems to be willing to do things that are against the stream. And I could see someone like Adam trying to utilize the person that comes back from the edge of extinction to his benefit because Adam has, he's been in a bad way. You know I mean? He's, he's upset some people, Ben and Sophie and Sarah are not huge fans of his at this point. I know he's got Denise and maybe she'll take him back in, but she was also frustrated with him because of the whole Rob thing. So I'm curious if someone like Adam could try to use that person to his benefit and then it could come back and bite him because he's going to be trying to play both sides. I, you know, I mean, I feel like with this group of Adam players, play both sides in this season. No way. <laughs> you know, 
I'm just, I'm, and I feel like someone like Tony could probably get behind that idea too of, you know, let's use this person. I, I feel like it might not be that simple, but it makes the most sense. It really does. You know, the person returns the game, we're just going to vote them out because it's an easy consensus vote. But I do think that there could be the possibility of somebody trying to use it like an atom to their benefit. And if it's someone like Boston Rob, I mean, that he's going to be looking for people. I mean, whoever comes back into the game is going to try to grab onto whoever is willing to right, work with right. them. I, so I feel like that could happen. I feel like it could definitely happen. So I don't know. All right. So what's your prediction? Well, honestly, hold on, hold on. Let's put it down on paper. We got it <laughs> I, I want to believe that um, the person who returns from the edge doesn't get voted out immediately just because it would be interesting to watch. And I would see. Here's my all right, conspiracy theory time. You ready? Here it goes. Uh-oh. Here we go again. <laughs> I know. And not that this is going to happen. I mentioned this to somebody, and uh, I, I would just, I feel like this would be an incredible. And they told you you were crazy? No, they didn't tell me I was crazy. But they were like, Uh-oh. oh, that would be really great to see. Ethan has been getting a whole lot of edge time. A whole lot of edge time. He's been getting. Well, I have my own theory about Ethan, so go with yours Okay, first, all right. Then- so. Definitely a lot of edge time. Um, People seem to be really like getting behind him and there's a lot of support for him. And there should be. I mean, Ethan has been to hell and back and survived. He is a true survivor. And I'm curious because this is, um, you know, winners at war. And there has been a a very large focus on this two million dollars and what people are going to do with it and, and how far are people willing to go for $2 million? There's been a lot of emphasis on that. And I would love it if the people on the edge decided <laughs> this isn't going to happen, but it would be great. that you know what CBS, we don't like this whole edge of extinction idea. So <laughs> we're going to let Ethan win. Like we're going to let him win. We're going to have, he's going to make, he's going to win the challenge. And then he gets to go back into the game and then no one is going to want to vote out Ethan because it's Ethan. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I, 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 I like the idea, especially because it says kind of F you to the edge of extinction. Yes. But um, I also think my idea of voting out the person who gets you know back from edge immediately also kind of says that. For so sure. I like that too. For sure. Uh, but I just don't see, I mean, $2 million I know. is here. I know. I don't see someone like Natalie who was voted out first saying, yeah, I'm going to hand it off to this guy who I just met. And that's true. Even though he's amazing, mm-hmm. I just can't see it. So what is your theory you know? about so my theory about about. So is that your official prediction that Ethan is going? No, to that's not my that's my conspiracy oh, okay. theory. So what's your official prediction? I think Parvati's coming back. You think Parvati's coming back and who's getting voted out? So you're trying to get away without making an actual. No, I'm going to make a prediction. So here's why I think poverty is coming back, because I feel like she's it's one of those where everyone's focusing on these fire tokens again. Right. And it's not going to matter. It's whoever's just going to win the challenge. And I realize you can buy an advantage in the challenge. I don't know if it's necessarily going to help because we did see we saw Boston Rob screw up on the the puzzles and that was a big deal. And so I don't know if they're trying to build into this like you know, moment where he's going to flop on the puzzle. I don't know. But for some reason, my gut is just telling me poverty. So I'm going to go with poverty coming back. Um, And my other 
gut is telling me that who's going to get voted out is Tony. Okay. So that's my. I can see that. I could certainly see that as yeah, a possibility. That's my. But so you have okay. my conspiracy theory, and then you have what my yes. gut is telling me. So yes, there we are. I will say, if I'm right, and like Robert Tyson comes back into the game and immediately gets voted out of the game, we're going to have like the shortest podcast ever. <laughs> it's very true because we've already done it once. Right. We could just hit replay. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, okay. So here's my bonus prediction. Okay. Related to Ethan. So DJ LaBelle Klein, well-known from the Wandoff, uh, noted on Twitter that the conversation between Ethan and Parvati, it didn't really need to be on the show. Exactly. You know, but it was, and it, it showed that Ethan is concerned and, you know, various things. So DJ LaBelle Klein had his own thought on it, but my thought that why they showed that scene is the producers could be setting up the reason Ethan follows Sandra and leaves Edge of Extinction if he doesn't win the return challenge. You know, he's been there this long. Mm -hmm. If he's already worried about how his body and his illness is going to, you know, handle being out there, does he really want to stay out there for, you know, what is it, another couple weeks or something yeah. like that? Yeah, they're at 23 days. Mm -hmm. So, so, I, I I think it's there because when he doesn't win the return challenge, I think he's going to leave. That's interesting. Hmm. Interesting. So, and there better damn well not be anybody out there who calls him a quitter. That's all I got to say. That is that. very true. And hey, just because we're throwing things out there, and this is not a conspiracy theory. I, I, I don't know if you caught this or not, but I just have to talk about the edge for like five more minutes. So when they did the whole thing with the, Ugh, you know how I, I know you do, but this is so much fun. The whole fire tokens, how uh, they were scattered about on all the trails yeah. and you had to go running. And Parvati was like, should we take the rice off? And everyone was just like, no. And they all ran. Did you mm -hmm. notice somebody took the rice off the fire? I think Amber stayed behind and did it. Someone said that she didn't run off. Was that Amber? Time. Because I saw like, I, think so. I, I thought they all scattered, but then I'm like, well, that's interesting. Cause you see a little head all of a sudden like appear yeah. in the screen. I think it was Amber because what is she going to do? You know, she knows she's not going to outrun them. And Rob knows this Island. Yeah. He spent 36 days on this Island. I know that's so. true. So, but I was, but kudos for her then she saved their food. That's right. So, all right. And now, as we wrap up, I want to encourage people to check out the RHAP patron program at robhasawebsite.com slash patron. Uh, I've mentioned that Rob started a new patron-only show before each episode of Survivor, and he already does at least five patron-only call-in shows a month besides that one, mm -hmm. plus a weekly Q&A show with Nicole. Additionally, several shows have recently been live streaming to the patrons. Uh, and of course, patrons get discounts and first access to live show tickets when those come back and we're all allowed, of, uh, allowed out of our houses. <laughs> um, he, he also has Facebook groups where you'll find a great community of people you could talk to about Survivor, Big Brother, etc. cetera, uh, you know, whatever is on TV by the time Survivor ends. Um, and including, of course, both of us. Uh, remember to go to robhaswebsite.com slash patron. And once you get to the Facebook groups, make sure to say hello. Yes. And this is a wonderful group of people who really do love these television programs. And it's a great group to really delve into strategy or just your thoughts about a program, thoughts about characters or how people are being portrayed on TV. So definitely should should jump in. If you want to be involved in these conversations, this is the place to do it. 
And then also you can say hi to myself and David at David Bloomberg and at Jessica Lewis 89 on Twitter. And you should follow us both. Then you can get both sides of the conversation. Also, we live tweet during the episodes. Uh, David steals my tweets all the time, so you'll be able to watch hey, that. wait a minute here. <laughs> you'll be able to see that happening. And it's just a it's a fun way to, to talk to each other throughout the week and talk about the upcoming ideas for Survivor, what we expect to see happen, and then a lot of other random things that we tweet about. So that is at David Bloomberg, and I am at Jessica Lewis 89. Right. Uh, I have a hashtag idea, if you're okay to it. Sure. Yule stays Yule. <laughs> it should just be hashtag Yule. <laughs> Except that, you know, that wouldn't do it. I know. Yeah, Yule so. stays Yule. Yes, I think that's Yule great. stays Yule. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. And of course, there's the hashtag for this podcast overall, YX Lost. Uh, everyone should make sure you're subscribed to all of the RHAP podcasts, uh, Survivor podcasts at robhasapodcast.com slash Survivor, or just, you know, get your phone go into your podcatcher and uh, do it that way. It's probably easier. We are also on the reality TV wrap ups feed in both places. You can find great content like besides us, of course, the know-it-alls, the wiggle room, B and B this weekend survivor and more. And now we should say thank you to everybody who makes this possible, right? Because uh, without all of the wonderful people that you've just mentioned, especially Rob Sesamino, we would not be doing this. So thank you to Rob for all of the wonderful work that he does. He really is incredible for putting all of this content and material out for people to listen to, especially since I think right now so many people are looking for things to do. So this is a great option. Uh, We'd love to thank Scott St. Pierre, who does all of the editing for Why Blank Lost. And also thank you to Will from America for the incredible theme song, which you don't see with the video uh, podcast, but you will hear if you're just listening, right? Is that the way it goes? That is correct. Uh, We could sing it. But it, it, it would be bad. It would be bad. Just so listen to the podcast. Yeah, so listen to that and then jump in and, and watch the video. So thank you to both of those wonderful individuals for doing all of the work that they do. And David, thank you for your willingness to do another video podcast. And listen, I am more than fine with doing this for the rest of the time that we're, you know, locked into our houses. I'm OK with that. I'm not I'm not leaving the island anytime soon. It means we have to like get dressed or at least half dressed anyway. For, uh, um, Listen, if you don't have yeah, pants yeah. on, I that we might need to talk. You'll never know. <laughs> um, no one will ever know. What can I tell you? Oh my goodness. Uh, so, so, uh, all right. But so thank you again for another great week. And uh, to everyone else, we are looking forward to seeing you again in a week. Yay! Bye. Bye. Jessica will turn it around They'll break down the rules And they'll show you how You played yourself and got voted out This is why Blank lost And this is why Blank lost Oh baby, this is why Blank lost We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.